Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the NSL's podcast. My name is Stephen, the host of the NSL's podcast, and we have a full panel tonight. We have my co-host, John, show regulars, Anthony Ross. How are you, all? Good, mate. All good, Stephen. All good. On. That's it. We're a foursome tonight. Foursome uh, to be reckoned with. Uh, just looking forward to getting started, talking about the another good win for the Celts this weekend. Yeah. 100%. I mean, the foursome. I mean, don't get me excited here, lads. No, he's like, <laughs> to start the podcast, obviously, start a wee bit of, of a, on a somber note here. And former Celtic manager and a man who's famous for stopping the 10 in a row that he's held in such high esteem amongst, um, among us Celtic fans. Wim Janssen has confirmed that he's suffering from dementia. And we at the NSL's podcast all pass on our thoughts and prayers to him and his family. But look, just as a wee nod to, to Wim Janssen and that famous season and the reason why he's such a legend amongst the Celtic support. I just want to be memory, if you can, off the cuff about that season. I mean, I was only four years old at the time, so my memory is basically zero of it. I just like hearing about it. It's a famous season that many Celtic fans speak about. And I'll come to yourself, Anthony, first for this. Wim Janssen is a Celtic legend for that reason, stopping the 10. And in that season, what's that? what stood out for you? You're, you're absolutely spot on, Stephen. Eh? Get in the building. Signed the king, stopped the ten, and left side door. Uh, legendary status secured, uh, and it's desperately sad news that, that's came out this weekend that he's he's sadly suffering uh, with dementia. And like you say, we'll echo that st- sentiment that we're, we're all we all send our best wishes to him and his family. I must admit, although stopping the ten was of course a, an incredible uh, thing in itself, um, I actually really. Like I, I, I vaguely remember the '95 Scottish Cup final, but apart from that, obviously we were starved of success in the '90s. So I actually really enjoyed the, the sort of it was the Coca-Cola Cup then, as it was, and the the match the the final was actually against Dundee United. Uh, I always remember it, uh, November '97, we played Dundee United at Ibrox in the Coca-Cola Cup final, and you know. It's not something that I was very used to seeing at that point, you know, Celtic in a cup final and, you know, we were 2-0 up within 20 minutes and, you know, we added the third in the second half and although, you know, Dundee United had a, a decent side then, you know, they had the, the likes of Shell Olofsson and, yeah, you know, uh, Sieb Dykstra and goals, he was a bit of a cult hero, but we just ran over the top of them that day and it was uh, it sort of, it was something that we built on later on in the season uh, when we added the league championship to it as well. So, yep, yeah, just uh, a legendary figure in football, not just at, at Celtic, but obviously over in Holland as well. And uh, yeah, all our wishes are with uh, Vim at this moment in time. Yeah, I think we all echo that. And come to yourself, Ross, whatever memories you have of that season, or even Wim as a character himself, what stands out for you? Um, I, I Again, first of all, just to, to echo the sentiments, just that we, we, best wishes go to him and his family. But uh, as regards, I mean, it was a great season, obviously. There was ups and downs. Uh, one that sticks in my memory was uh, a 2-1 victory. Uh, it was towards the end of the season, a 2-1 victory at Rugby Park. Uh, it was uh, one of the games where Celtic sort of had all the possession. They were peppering the goal, and Gordon Marshall, was he, he had a really good game that night. But I can just remember, I've obviously seen highlights since. Uh, but I, I never watched the game live. I can remember because obviously it wasn't as easy to watch games live as it is now. Um, but I remember just lying in my room, 14 year old, 
uh, listening to the game on the radio and all you could hear was Gordon Marshall saving this, saving that. We, we scored, we went up 1-0 and then uh, Kilmarnock pegged us back just before half-time and you're thinking, there's about six games to go or something, you're thinking, is this going to be Celtic just throwing it away again, eh? But Simon Donnelly popped up later on in the game, eh, good good bit of play, worked the ball across the box and Donnelly was there. Ended up one and one with Marshall. They just done a wee dink, eh, similar to eh, kind of the, the gold Salah scored yesterday. I think it was his hat, the third one, his hat trick. Eh, just a wee dink over Marshall, and it gets us the win. Eh, and it was just before we went, we went to Ibrox the following week. I think it was and lost two 0 But eh, that that I thought was a big moment in the season getting that goal because I think we'd lost that game. It probably would have just totally crumbled. Or if we didn't get the three points, certainly. Because I think Rangers that night had maybe drew. And normally, at that time, Celtic, if Rangers drew, Celtic would lose or draw as well. But that season, they sort of just took it the other way. And that that was a a pivotal moment towards the end of that season. It always sticks in the memory for me. Yeah, I mean, for me back then, obviously I was a young Celtic supporter, so I hear all these memories from the likes of yourselves, my granda, other family members, and I just love learning about the history of Celtic. And that season, John was pivotal in ter- terms of the whole kind of stopping the 10, the significance of that. And that's what made Wim Janssen the legend within the Celtic support. Do you have any lasting memories from that season? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, again, I echo everybody's sentiments regarding women's condition and um, all best of wishes to his family and friends and everything else but yeah I mean that that season was hugely significant because I mean for me when Rangers started that whole nine in a row but I was like three or four years old so I wasn't really old enough to to take everything in or to really appreciate the significance of what was about to happen with them and like them going on that run I mean so for the majority of my life coming up as a Celtic fan, I watched I watched the struggle and uh, it was a bit of a boy to be honest. But then obviously Wim Janssen comes in, um, stops the ten in a row bid, and, and it changed our fortunes around significantly. And I thought that in terms of memorable things, I think just as Anthony alluded to winning that League Cup, which I think was the first sort of one in like a decade and a half, 15, 16 years or something like that, and obviously signing Henrik Larsson um, and how big that was and who, everything he became to be in terms of his status at Celtic and the support. Uh, but it was just a, I mean, I, 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 it, it was a long time ago now, but it still sticks in my memory and I obviously appreciate Wim for everything he done for us that, in that season. And again, it was a turning point in, uh, for us as a club as well, because if, if, if I think the state we were in just prior, a couple of years prior as well, it didn't even look like we would even exist. So, I mean, to to, to go for that, to what, what we've done was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, some great memories there, guys. And again, we echo our thoughts and prayers are with Wim Janssen and his family. And we'll move on to on the field Celtic matters. And we played the Janssen there on Saturday. And another routine, it's becoming kind of routine now, these 2-0 victories, clean sheets as well are coming back into the team, which builds confidence for the defence, which is fantastic. And the game itself, Ross, I mean, how would you describe it? It was it was controlled. It seems like Celtic have kind of changed the style and adapted maybe the, the certain players because, I mean, we've seen that at the, the start of the season, that the team was just gung-ho from the start. 
but the last couple of games, especially the Aberdeen right up to this game, has been more controlled. There's been more kind of what would you call it? precision, and they're more clinical in front of the goal as well, which is good to see. But in terms of the game itself, what was your overall take from it? Um, that, just like you say, it was a very controlled performance. Uh, that's four wins in the bounce now, uh, and I would say certainly the last three, the all two nil victories, have been all the same. They've been very controlled. They've never looked like losing any of the games. Although, you know, it's it's only two nil, but the, it was like Franny said a few weeks back, like he would take two nils for like now until the end of time, a uh, comfortable two nils like that. And ever since I think ever since he said that, we've we've just won two nil every game, uh, and. I, th- I, th- I they were just very, very controlled. A uh, big, a uh, big Greek guy came in, looked a, a presence, uh, put himself about, and it's just like we've spoke about. We've no, we've spoke about before, but we hadn't seen him. But he looked on Saturday what would spoke about that we hoped he, he would be. Uh, so I mean, it's all positive uh, off of these games. And it's four wins on the bounce. Like I say, I think that's our longest run under Ange, unbeaten, or certainly wins. Uh, and I think that, that, that only bodes well going forward uh, for the remainder of the season. Hopefully we can keep building on this and maybe get like maybe 10, 12 victories in a row because it really piles the pressure on and it keeps us really right up there touching distance. Uh, going into January where you would hope that we would probably strengthen a, a little more uh, and I think we're well within our rights to feel that we can go and win that league uh, having strengthened uh, but I I mean I thought it was I, I thought Gia Kamakis trying to, is that how you say it? Hopefully um, <laughs> I, I think he took his goal really well uh, Again, Ralston gets gets an assist. Uh, he's he's played really well on Saturday again. Uh, can he fault him? But as regards to the finish, Vijay Kamakis, I thought it was a really. I, I think it's the word. That was this will be the word of the night. I think controlled. He doesn't lash at that. He made it look a hell of a lot easier finish than what it actually was. Uh, so first class, and then the penalty kick. You look at that. I mean. That Juranovic is, he's, I think it's evident he's going to be our penalty taker going forward. Uh, and he's took two penalties that one, I think, maybe possibly three, but definitely two. He took one at Betis as well, and he's just he's stuck them away with just absolute aplomb. Uh, he just he just looks so calm in that situation. You never, for a second, think he's going to miss his body language and everything is just what you want to see. Uh, so I I really enjoyed the game. Uh, I mean, I started. I can't mind much towards the end of it because I, I started drinking at the start of the game and I had a few <laughs> beers because uh, I was going on a night out. Uh, and I, I started to get a bit hazy towards the end. Let's say. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of what you said, there it was control and that kind of filter through towards them. But coming to yourself, John, in in regards to the game, obviously we'll touch upon yep. players and stuff, but. The, as, as Ross said, the word of the word of this podcast is going to be controlled, and it's it's a stark contrast <laughs> to what we've seen in terms of the whole gung ho mentality, where it was just 
players flooding forward and leaving gaps in behind. And what I've yeah. noticed, especially the last three or four games, is the back four seem to be more solid. And yes, I give Ralston a wee bit of stick on the last podcast. That's because my personal opinion is I still think he's not first choice or shouldn't be going forward. I think that's going to be your Alavich position. We just need to sort that left back position out. But like Ross, what was your take on the game? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, the key words controlled. It was a very assured per- performance. It was comfortable. Um, I think that the, the first, the opening, like, five minutes or something was a wee bit shaky because uh, they seemed to they seemed to press us right for the, the jump. But uh, once we got control of the game, it was never in any doubt. And um, I, I thought it was a very, very controlled performance. Uh, and, and you mentioned there about that back line uh, and the four. Um, at the back and they, they seem to be coming on with each and every game and they're obviously getting used to playing together and they're, they're getting familiar with each other and I want to give a big shout out to Starfelt as well because he's been taking a lot of stick recently um, and he's one of the guys that I've always I've kind of stood by myself and I've said he's, he'll come good in time and I, I think we're starting to see that I think, he, I think it'd, be, it'd be harsh to say that he's still not capable because I think that was his probably if not his best performance in a Celtic jersey and He's looking more and more comfortable each and every game. Um, so I think it's just one of the things about giving them time. Um, but I, I mean, I think things are starting to click. It looks like for me, um, I could see. Uh, you mentioned earlier is something about is Ange maybe ch- changed up his style or anything. I don't think it's a change of style or nothing like that. I think it's just a case of um, Players are getting, they're starting to get used to the way we're playing. They're getting used to playing with each other. Um, and they're much more confident playing with each other. And it's that's coming across on the pitch. So uh, I think that and as the rest of the season goes on, and we've all said it, it's just going to get better and better for me. And the fact that we've managed to keep a couple of clean sheets and get a couple of away wins and we're doing what we're doing at the minute has been fantastic to watch. And um, I've just... I can see it continuing for the rest of the year. I like the way you said that there in terms of the players kind of settling into that formation and the this, this style of play because maybe at the start there was confusion. They didn't know where to be, what kind of tactics they were playing, the pressing style. But I kind of think yeah. what you're thinking is probably the most correct thing there. They've settled into that style and it may not look gung-ho, but they're kind of they're inviting the teams on and pressing the teams in certain areas. Do you know exactly. what I mean? That's what I'm saying. I think that, yeah. I, because, I mean, it's like I say, if, if you watch earlier performances, the, the, you can see the style that Ange wanted to play. And we all touched on it. We say that it's definitely frantic, a bit fast-paced, <laughs> uh, attacking football. Um, but as you say, as time has gone on, they're still playing fast-paced. They're dominating possession. They're still pressing really high. We're still attacking teams. Um, and we're getting the lion's share of chances. Uh, it's just... We're struggling to take them all, uh, and that again that comes into breaking down eleven men because I think a lot we're going to see it a lot this year is pretty much every team we're going to come up against is going to be defending ten men in the box and waiting to catch us on a counter attack, um, and that's how we deal with that. That's going to be the most important thing going forward for us uh, for a defensive standpoint. But you can see with each game that the players are growing into the the sort of formation and the style, uh, and I think that that's coming across, and it's it, it certainly at least the game at the weekend there you can see it, it, it like that's why we're using the word like controlled and assured performances and stuff like that because they're becoming more comfortable so if, at least for me that that's the perspective i have on it and i think that it's just going to continue to grow in that in that respect yeah well i mean i think you make a great point in terms of but obviously john alluded to the fact that we're still dominant possession and i'll throw a couple of mad stats at you like 79 percent possession 20 shots seven corners it all points to the fact that selling were controlled dominant and clinical doesn't it 
It does, and I think the scoreline does reflect. It's it doesn't necessarily reflect just how dominant we were, and I think you have to give uh, Xander Clark a lot of credit for that. You know, he, he pulled off a string of uh, some top saves. I think he's a really good goalkeeper, to be fair. Um, but you know, fair play to St Johnston. They 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 did give their all. Um, you know, they are the most successful side in Scotland in 2021. So you know, they came there and you know played to their strengths, but. Uh, just you've got to treat these games properly, and once we got into our rhythm, no, no nobody was going to stop us. And uh, like Ross alluded to, um, and I'm not going to try and pronounce our new number seven's uh, name either, if, in case I embarrass myself ever more. But he looks a real presence. He's going to make a real nuisance of himself, but he has got that instinct and control uh, to take that shot that he maybe wasn't expecting uh, to chance. It, it maybe wasn't expecting. And he put it away uh, quite the thing. And uh, after that, like you say, although it's, it's you're always a bit nervous, it's still only 1-0. It just takes, you know, an awkward bounce of a ball or a, somebody getting a little break and it could all change. But it, our marathons, they're not sprints. And, you know, just getting these, marking these games off uh, with goals and clean sheets is very, very pleasing. Long may it continue. Yeah, uh, you're 100% right there, Anthony. I totally agree with you on that. But... I want to talk about some players, and I think you alluded to the fact that Celtic's new number seven. I'm going to try it. John's probably going to correct me, as he always does, but Gio Kamakis, I'll go with that pronunciation. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Of, of that at the minute. But <laughs> Yakumakis. Oh, Yakumakis then. But we'll start with we'll start with him, have we chat about him, and I'll come to your, yourself, um, John, first for this. And he did, he was a presence up front. He's totally different to Kyogo, albeit that, Jack and Magnus looks like he has pace as well to close players down, but he kind of holds the ball up, links the play. And I wouldn't say he was, I mean, amazingly brilliant or anything. I just think he was average. He's done his job. He got the goal, instinctive finish. And as Ross said, he controlled that into the bottom right corner. Yeah. What was what was your impression of him during that game? I was glad to see him get his start. Um, I mean, I certainly, uh, it, it's a difficult one for me because it's, I, I think we've missed that presence in the box, especially when it seems... Uh, a lot of the games recently, especially, um, we're utilising the, the width a lot more and we're, we're swinging balls into the box. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Kyogo's not the biggest guy on the park. And we've not really got that many, when, when you're attacking that high and you're pressing that high, you've not really got that many guys packed in the box themselves. So, Yakumakis uh, certainly gives us that presence uh, and it gives us uh, somebody to target, uh, a target man in the air as well. Um, so, I mean, we can definitely... I think I think it's going to be good for us, as I say, in terms of crosses into the box. But I did miss seeing Kyogo going through the middle. I think that's definitely his strongest position, uh, and I, I hope that's not something we're going to lose um, going forward as well. Because I, I can see Kyogo is obviously going to be the starter, but it's good having that option, and it was good to see him play. But I, I agree with you. I think he's uh, he certainly looks a presence. I don't think he, he, he doesn't look the most polished player in the world, but he, he looks like he's the kind of guy that gets it done when, and needed. And I think after getting his first goal there, that um, he will he'll sort of go strength to, for strength to strength. And, and I can see him scoring quite a few. But as Ross alluded to earlier as well, the way he took that goal, um, because that ball, when it was crossed in, the pace it was crossed in, no many, you're, you're, you're snatching at that and you're, you're either hitting it over the bar or you're just missing it completely. But the fact that he managed to, to hit it, take it the way he did at the pace it was, sorry, the pace it was going at, I thought was fantastic. And it shows you the sort of level of control he's got as well. And again, it just sort of 
comes back to that sort of presence within the box and having somebody there that that size and who can bring other people in if the boss played into him and stuff like that. So I, I thought it was a great performance. But I, uh, I thought Jakub Marcus is uh, he, he, he'll come on. Um, as I say, the more game time he gets, but it's, it's difficult to sort of judge. Yeah, I think it'd be a great point there. And athletes, for a player like Jakub Marcus, who hasn't really been featuring, he's been injured when he's come in picked up that injury in the warm-up in one of the games as well and you'd think that would kind of dent, dent his confidence but he doesn't seem the guy type of guy that affects him I mean we've seen it in the European game when he came on he tried that bicycle kick he seems to have a confidence a presence about him and as John said if we're utilising that width and I agree with him I don't want him to replace Kogo for the middle but even as an option come off the bench in like the 60th 70th minute he's going to score a bar of goals isn't he? Yeah, he just offers that sort of variety and that sort of unknown quantity that defenders are just not going to enjoy playing against him. And you mix that in with a player like Kyogo, whose movement is just, you know, mesmerising at times. And churning up these, uh, chucking out these results week after week is only going to, you know, getting that winning habit back is going to be so vital going forward uh, for the rest of the season. And yeah, I, I thought, He's obviously, like you say, he, got, he was very unlucky and got injured in the the warm up a, a you know sort of a couple of months back, and we just thought, God, like you say, just our luck at the minute. Are we going to? Is it going to be another injury ridden season? But these players seem to be coming back now, and uh, it just it we're starting to get almost a full a full squad to choose from. Uh, so yeah, if I was uh, opposition managers and teams, I would be very very worried if we're on your fixture list anytime soon. <laughs> And another thing as well, Ross, me and Francis touched upon this in terms of Kyogo and Yakimakis playing together. Would you ever see an opportunity where they could play as a two-up top instead of sacrificing Kyogo out in the wing? Because I think we can all see Kyogo on the wing doesn't offer the same as he does in terms of through the middle. And just maybe there might be a few games where you can put them two together and see what they can do. Um, I I know where you're coming from there and I would probably tend to agree with it. Uh, but that said, I think I don't think that Ange will probably go with that. I don't think he, he likes he likes obviously the the sort of front three. Um, I don't know if he could maybe I don't know maybe try and put like Kyogo into like the number ten and play maybe just off him uh, and still try and keep a, a sort of three like Kyogo a sort of bit of a free role, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I would like to see it. I'm a bit old school. I like an old school four four two. I don't think it does any harm to mix it up a wee bit against certain teams. And I think that they two could work pretty well. Uh, I think that's been alluded to before that it would sort of work a, a bit similar to, uh, like, say, Scott McDonald and Hesselink. Obviously, you would have to say that Kyogo's probably a lot more mobile than Scott McDonald, but Scott McDonald is but stronger, uh, but I, I I would like to see that maybe utilised in some games. Uh, I, I don't think it would be utilised for the start, but if it's a game uh, where we're kind of face, maybe it's nip and tuck, maybe one each or something, you're looking for that just to change the game up a bit, uh, I think that's an option that's that's there going forward. And like like the guys have said there, it's having uh, Gia uh in, in the squad now and fit, it, it just gives you that, that other dynamic, that other option uh, and it's we're, we're in a good place now, we have got options uh, certainly up top 
Uh, and I, it's, it's, it, we're just in a good place right now, or a good moment anyway. Uh, and we're, uh, you can't really fault it, but I, we've got a lot of options. I on the, the certainly in the front area of the park. Yeah, I mean, one of them options as well, come back from injury there, Anthony, was Ranovic. And much to my surprise, I was convinced that Bolongoli would have slotted back in at left-back, coming back off that European game where he wasn't registered. But I thought he would have come back in and Ranovic maybe took Ralston's place. But again, we'll have to kind of tip our hats off to Ralston. He's keeping a creation international from his favourite position, albeit I might be on merit at the minute, and, and his performances have kind of granted them that. But I think Ivanovic on the right, is a far better option, in my opinion. And I, I didn't understand why Bolongoli wasn't even in the match day squad. But was that a surprise to you after he played against um, Aberdeen? I think it was just more a surprise that Juranovic was actually starting, to be honest, because when we recorded the show uh, last week, we, did, we weren't, still weren't sure of uh, you know sort of his progress uh, getting back from injury. Um, but yeah, I must admit, I was delighted to see him back in the team, albeit, yeah, I was a little surprised as well that he was on the left uh, rather than his favoured right. Having said that, the performance at Ibrox showed that, you know, that's why he's an, an international class player. Um, he more than looked apart that day as well. He was um, our man of the match for me by some distance that day. Um, so yeah, I've got no qualms about him playing on the left-hand side either. And as Ross says as well, with regards to uh, penalty kicks, uh, yeah, I want him number one anytime we get a, a spot. We, we don't get them very often, to be fair, uh, certainly domestically. But anytime we do, I want him to be uh, taking them because he just has, looks like he has ice through his veins when it comes to taking them. He just seems to know exactly where to put it and give a goalkeeper absolutely no chance. So, yep, it's great to have him back. He's He, he looks a real talent. Yeah, he definitely does. And what about yourself, You're Ross? You're talking about that injuries, uh, I think, in the past now. Yeah. I mean, what about yourself, Ross, in terms of the whole Ralston, Juranovic thing? As I said there at the start, and even Alfie said, it was a surprise not the same deployed on the right. But is it a case of Ralston hasn't done much wrong, he stays in the team? Or is it just a case of we don't have much absence at left back? What, what do you think it is? Um, I think it's a bit, sorry, a bit of both. I think that. Ralston, like you say, hasn't he done much wrong? He deserves he deserves to be in the team. He he had an assist, uh, like I said on Saturday again, and I think with Juranovic being available, I think personally, I think he's a better option at left back than what Ball and Goli is. Um, and uh, I don't. I think Ball and Goli probably he only came out back into the team. In that last game, uh, can't mind to it was it? It was against Aberdeen. Uh, was it Aberdeen? Was it? Yeah. Uh, or was it no Motherwell? Well, it was Motherwell. Yes, you're right. It was Motherwell. Aye, aye, aye. Um, aye. So I think he only came back into the team at that moment because Juranovic wasn't available. I think that uh, Montgomery was struggling, uh, and then Montgomery comes back into the team uh, in the European game. Because he's obviously, I, I, I don't know if he was, I think Montgomery wasn't fit for the Marwell game. But, I mean, that's not to say that I wouldn't have Bongoli in the team at, at some point. Because it's, it's always healthy to have options. And certainly the way we want to play, to rotate things about. And that's, I think we've got fairly decent options in that position. 
I'm not saying they're the, the best in class that Celtic probably should and could get, but uh, when Taylor comes back, you've got him. You can deploy Juranovic there. You've got Montgomery who can be played in there. You've got Bongoli. But I don't think that, personally, I don't think that uh, left-back is Montgomery's strongest position. Uh, but uh, we've certainly got good options there. I know Juranovic isn't naturally there, but he's 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 played there for his numerous times now, probably more out there than what he has on the right. Uh, and he's done well every single time. So uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't have Bongoli back in the team. Uh, but it wouldn't be personally. It wouldn't be my first choice out of the options we have for that position. I mean, that's that that isn't me advocating for Paul and Gully to be first choice left back. It's just no, I know, that, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, it's just because Juranovic. I mean, his pedigree, Ralston still keeping them out. And come to yourself, John. Do you think this is the way that we're going to see Ralston and Juranovic deployed at least until the January transfer window? Uh, mm, I don't know. Uh, it, it's difficult to sort of say because I, I would agree that Ball and Golly, um, there's a lot. Of, I know there's a lot of Celtic fans that, that don't want to see him wearing a Celtic jersey because they're still hanging on last year. Um, but for me, since he's came in, he's been he's been fantastic. He's not put a foot wrong. He's done really really well. Um, and uh, with, with Taylor being out uh, and Montgomery, I agree. I don't think Montgomery's that's his strongest position. I think he's some way off being. A regular sort of starter. Um, who have you got? You've your only natural left back. You've got is Paul and Golly. And I, I I would disagree with what Ross was saying about Juranovic being uh, the better option out on the left. Uh, I still think that Juranovic played well enough on the left at the, at the weekend there. But you could see that it, it, that's no. I don't think he's so he's, he's too comfortable out there for me. Um, and he would much obviously rather be out in the right, but like you say, he's, he's Ralston's no put a foot wrong, and he, he, he's obviously fighting for his place. So I, I don't know. I, I expect to see rotation at that position, um, and I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we're seeing a combination of Juranovic, Bolly, Ralston, Bolly, Juranovic, Ralston, etc. Just at least on the run up to January until we can get somebody in at least strengthen that position. And we're still got skills. Remember, we keep forgetting about skills. He's another guy who we've not really seen too much of, but he looks, he looks like he could be, he could be a decent player anyway. Um, in the short glimpses we have seen, so I don't know. It's a difficult question to sort of answer, but for me, I think Bollywood would still, he still got, he still deserves a chance as far as I'm concerned. And and, and until he makes a, until he, he does something wrong on the park, uh, I don't see why uh, he should be shut out. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean. Ball and golly for me should be left back. I think Juranovic should be deployed at right back. But again, Ralston's there a merit. And obviously, until he has a dip in form, that's probably the status quo until at least the January transfer window. But one thing I want to touch upon is obviously the biggest flashpoint within the game, where the game turned into a UFC fighting match for a brief period. We've seen a kick, we've seen a punch, we've seen Cameron Carter Vickers get booked after being the victim, which was an absolute disgrace. I don't understand how Chris Kane stayed on the pitch after that. It was so blatant that anyone could see. Even the the kick to start with, I mean, the force was a red card. The punch is probably another red card. So whoever's reviewing this incident needs to really come down heavy on Chris Kane for me. And come to yourself, Anthony, first about this situation. Obviously, referees in Scotland, a lot of them get criticised. And we kind of tend to not really talk about referees on this podcast. But this is something, this is some kind of thing we can't ignore in terms of what we're seeing. Well, yeah, I mean, incompetence comes as a standard uh, where Scottish referees are concerned. But even by their 
desperately low standards. I mean, Saturday was an absolute shocker. It, it really, really was. Um, even our, our, our penalty was sort of debated about what was it actually inside the box and, and you're just thinking to yourself it's are we are we actually even having this conversation it, it's it's really really mind baffling it really is um but yeah the, the incident itself like you say it, it could actually have been two red cards Stephen not not like you say for the kick itself um as I say the first one he seems to be well it's it's certainly reckless but it is a challenge for the ball I'm not uh, denying that but then the second one, you, you know, Carter Vickers is over the ball. It's clear that it's not going anywhere. And I think at that point, the whistle has sounded. He then has a second kick. And then I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if it's two kicks or three. And then it's the, it's, but it's the punch for me, um, the attempted punch out for me the, the afterwards. And yet somehow Carter Vickers ends up getting the same punishment as him. I don't know if that, like, unless somebody has to point out, I mean, these wee rule books uh, get handed out every season. I don't know if something's been amended this year, but there's been two or three of these sort of stramasses, uh, shall we say, that ends up, even although there's one party far more guilty than the other, um, it seems to be a thing where the referee's got to punish a player for both sides. I, I, I don't understand it. Um, I'm maybe a bit old school that just that the guilty parties should be the one that get punished. Um, but it was an absolute shocker. It really was. And um, but sadly, something that we're all too familiar with uh, when it comes to refereeing uh, domestically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you've done that really well there, and kind of a summary of that. But coming to yourself, John, as as Anthony said, I think there was two kicks. I think Anthony, I think it was one was the challenge, and the second one was the the big boot, where it was an automatic red card because you're kind of endangering the opponent there which is Carter Vickers already. He gets up, reacts to it, and then he gets a punch in the face, John. And it's Nick Walsh was the referee, yes, wasn't it? Yeah. And he's running towards the incident with the yellow card already in his hand, like he's made up his mind. It's it's crazy, isn't it? I don't know. Honestly, it's absolutely ridiculous. And Nick Walsh is an absolute fanny, plain and simple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Let's be honest, right? See if you go back and you review that footage, and I posted and it on. So it begins. I posted it. <laughs> I posted it on Twitter, right? And it was like it was just exactly that flashpoint, that moment where you could see him kick him, and he did. He kicked the ball was nowhere near his stomach. Chris Kane volleyed him, and it was purpose. Like there was intent behind it, and that for me, that's a straight red. Um. Vigors is all he's he's going to react. Anybody would react. You've just been volleyed in the stomach. He got up. Bryson as well was by the way was another one. Uh, as uh, Cameron Carter Vickers was getting up, he was trying to push him back down. He was holding him by the back of the head, pushing, putting weight in his neck. Obviously, to be a bit too feeble to keep him down, um, he managed to get himself up, and that's when Chris Kane swung at him. And the fact that a that Walsh had already ran over there with his yellow card out, and a decision had been made. Uh, and then book Vickers for God knows what reason. I, I don't know if it was maybe because he got up as if he was going to react, but he didn't actually do anything. And the fact that Kane got away with it when, when it could potentially have been two reds is is uh, it's an absolute disgrace. And it, it just sums up Scottish referees to a T. Um, and I know I, I've been, we've not really touched on it, and I've been quite vocal outside the podcast anyway. <laughs> I think you mean Ross had this argument even last night. Um, that 
re- Scottish referees shouldn't be refereeing Scottish games, plain and simple, um, for me. And that's how just I personally feel. I don't think they're good enough. And I think there's fa- there's far too much carry on in this country uh, in relation to a whole host of different factors that can come into play. And they, they, they're just not a high standard at all. They should stick to refereeing like junior games or something because they're useless. And we need to start looking at bringing in referees for England or uh, elsewhere throughout Europe because they're, they're, they're absolutely shite. Yeah. I, I mean, as I said, the, the athlete before we came home, we can, we can attend the... To stay away from them sort of things, referees, because they do get criticised a lot. But this is issues. That do you know what pisses of... me off as well? Sorry. See if you even mention it. Like, you, you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It's it's fucking it's plain as it's plain as as clear as day, right? See when you actually watch the games, it, it it's clear as day how shocking referees are. Anthony touched on it. The the, the standard of refereeing in this country is abysmal. And week in week out, they get away with absolute murder. And if you question them. You get reprimanded by the SFA. If if you if you, as a fan, if you dare bring it up, you're called a conspiracy theorist and all this. They're far too protected, and they get away with absolutely everything. Even the day, right after uh, after the the game at the weekend, uh, there was very very little in terms of coverage about the the Cameron Carter Vickers incident. Um, and a lot of pundits and ex referees and all that were coming out and they were reporting that all oh, Welsh was hailed for a brilliant decision in regards to Celtic's penalty. How some referees maybe just let that play on because Celtic still had an advantage, so to speak. Uh, but he was he was hailed for a brilliant decision. And it's like they're, they're, it's like they're purposefully and these I'm not getting into the rags carry on, but they are purposely trying to sway people's eyes. Like let's just forget about what happened there. Don't don't criticise the referee for his shocking decision here. Let's focus on what he did do well, and that's not good enough. I, I totally agree. With my that. blood's and boiling. I, I'm ready. I can I can hear your blood spoiling because I thought you were just going to rant for about ten minutes there. But no, I totally get I totally get what you're saying, and that's what I was going to say. We, te- we ke- kind of try and stay away from them referee and questioning them stuff because, as you said, you do get called out on it. You get called conspiracy theorists. You get called all sorts. But again, Ross, it's decisions like that on the weekend where Chris Kane should have been sent off, no question. And what came into my mind when I seen that punch was, do you remember when Scott Brown got punched by Ryan Kent, and again? That went unpunished. He didn't even get a punishment for that. If he did, correct me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't. But what was your take on that decision? Um, just similar to the guys. It, 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 was, it was absolutely mind-boggling how he stayed on the park. And by the way, I, I know we went on and won the game, but at that moment in the game, St. Johnson were still in the game. It was only, I think it was only 1-0. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, I mean... If he well, he stays on the park, but then if St. Johnson go and just say he goes and scores an equaliser late on, it's 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 an absolute shambles. The referee gets out of jail in a sense that way because Celtic won the game anyway, and it it doesn't affect the result. But regardless of that, you you can't be putting a guy when he's on the ground, and then another guy sort of trying to hold him down, and then another like having a swing at him, and then like you say, it's like. Anthony was talking about he doesn't know all these, maybe there's wee rules being brought in. I'm starting to think that, I've not read it, but I'm starting to think that there's a rule brought in that if you try and get up off the ground with two guys surrounding you trying to defend yourself, then that's an offence. I mean, Carter <laughs> Vickers has done absolutely nothing wrong. You're probably right. Uh, he's done absolutely nothing wrong. And I don't know... <sighs> 
again, like you, you didn't want to be a, like a conspiracy theorist, nor the rest of it. But if, to me, if if Chris Kane does that at Ibrox, the the referee's got the red card out before he's even blue for kickoff. Telling <laughs> 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 you, man, it's 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 unbelievable how he gets away with that, and he doesn't get away with Ibrox. Don't care what MD says. People laugh at me, and the odd Rangers fan who wants to listen to this, oh, maybe even write in the comments that you're paranoid and all the rest of it. But that's the reality. That's he gets he gets aye, he gets sent off at Ibrox a hundred times out of a hundred for that. I don't care what MD says. But uh, aye, we go and win the game anyway, and it, it doesn't matter. But apart from that, it, it can't be ignored. Even though we go and win the game, it was it was a shambles their decision, uh, and it, it's it's just one in a long line of shambles of decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I totally agree what you're saying. I think we've all been spot on in our assessment, and as John rightly said, there I don't get why other um, former referees are coming out kind of hailing them for a decision, which to be fair, he did play on. We got the penalty we scored from, but we can't ignore the blatant red card that he missed. And hopefully, whoever reviews that decision gives gives the relevant punishment to Chris Kane. Chris Kane. But look, as quickly as that match is over, we're quickly an exit again against Hibs at Easter Road on Wednesday evening at quarter to eight. And one thing I want to touch upon there, coming to yourself, Ross, first, is. The game isn't even on TV, and Sky TV have bought the rights to the SPL, and so far it's been a shambles. Their coverage hasn't it? Aye, we're, we're, they they don't care about Scottish football. Uh, they they we're just like bystanders. They've got it's like the sometimes I think that the the gears like some sort of minuscule deal just to keep. Idiots like me on on side and will continue to pay. Well, I say idiots like me. I've just cancelled my Sky, so I'm a bit not an idiot anymore. I forgot I cancelled it. But uh, aye, just to, to sort of appease us so that we continue to pay to basically watch their English Premier League games. Uh, and uh, don't get me wrong, I enjoy watching some English Premier League games, but I'm talking maybe. 20-25% of the games only the, the bigger games and sometimes even they're not that great so aye, Sky don't give a hoot about Scottish football Yeah and actually, it, I think Ross is right I've seen lots and lots of people talk about us on Twitter mainly Celtic fans and SP, SPFL fans obviously but it's an absolute outrage this happened I think it was a Motherwell game as well we were away it wasn't on TV uh, BT covered the, the European game as they always do and again we're away from home and we're not on TV again, and at least fans in a position will have to fork out more money to watch the game. It's an absolute shambles, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it's a double-edged uh, sword, Stephen, because it's actually it, it, what actually happens is the league offer up um, sort of rounds of fixtures for the broadcasters to then televise. So you have a, a scenario where Nobody is on TV. I think although it's a, a full card in the Premier League over over the course of the week, the the league itself have not put forward any matches for Sky to pick and choose which which games to show. So there's there's incompetence from the SPFL, 
But there's also just like Ross says, a complete, you know, ignorance from Sky Sports as well because they're they're let's be honest, any television company that offers up Chris Boyd as some sort of you know insightful um, reporter um, really is just you know extracting the urine with you. But like you say, I'm I'm still one of those uh, idiots that Ross is uh, sort of self titled himself as well. I do Sorry, pay for my sky, but no, no. But listen, we're on we're on the same boat, mate. Um, I I watch um so that I can watch. Uh, I mean, whatever you're watching, Alfie, I don't think Sky Sports wants us to hear it from you. But I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, if if we're looking at it, John, as well, I think Alfie's just having a little bit of technical issues with his mic. But I'm sure you're back on to watch the match because and uh, yeah, okay, and that's back, it. it. It's <laughs> sorry, can, can you see me, guys? Uh, yeah, you, we can hear you now, yes. There, there, I cut out there, sorry. But yeah, it's it's an absolute nonsense that, uh, that yet again, uh, Celtic supporters are having to fork out for a pay-per-view fee. This might not be popular with other fans of other clubs. I don't even necessarily particularly like it myself. But the facts are this. Celtic and Rangers are Scottish football where broadcasters are concerned. As much as I would quite like to tune into perhaps a Aberdeen versus Hibs or a Hearts Dundee United, out with Scotland, they are not interested. So it's a case of you just have to go on with it. And this whole nonsense of there has to be a a, a certain amount of the, the, a certain team's got to be on a, a set amount of times. I'm quite sorry, is absolute nonsense. That the fact that there is a game on Wednesday night, Hibs versus Celtic, one of the kind of bigger sort of blockbustery type matches that Scottish football can offer. But we've got to, you know, put that to one side because in a couple of weeks' time, you know, Dundee might be, you know, going to Tynecastle uh, or something like that. And we've got to be, you know, we've got to kind of spread it out. It's, you know, I'm a socialist, um, on, you know, on other on a lot of things, but sometimes you just have to, have a bit of common sense and say when Celtic and Rangers play away from home, their game should be on the telly. It, it really is just as simple as that. But yeah, another 12 quid that we have to fork out on Wednesday night. Yeah. It's a disgrace. And, and I'm one of them mugs. I'm afraid it's already paid the 12 quid to the Hibs website. So I'll no, 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 listen, I've got my, I've still got my Hibs TV account from last season, mate. I've already got yeah. myself uh, a pay-per-view uh, pass for Wednesday as well. So, yep, I'm an idiot, but yeah, it's what Celtic does to you, isn't it? Exactly. So, I'm among subscription fees, John, among pay-per-view fees, and among going to games itself and paying for tickets and travel expenses, it is an outrage, as Anthony said, that Celtic fans are left in position where well, they're forking out another 12 quid. And I know people have said it's only £12 for a one-off game, but £12 to families right now in this climate is quite a lot of money, in my opinion. Well, you're saying that it's only £12 for a one-off game, but that's been £12 for the past three weeks. So that's that's, the, that's your true. 36 out of pocket already, and you're not even at the end of the month yet. And for, as far as Sky, I mean, we know Sky is one of the biggest problems in football in the UK. Uh, the English Premier League is in the state it's in, uh, and money is as bad as it is, and this, trans, this wee bubble that they live in is all thanks to Sky Sports. Uh, and as Anthony says, they don't give a toss about Scotland outside the Celtic and Rangers in the derby games um, I mean let's just for, for a minute just go to this game on uh, coming up on Wednesday 
Sky have opted, and I, I, I don't know the ins and outs, Anthony, so I might be wrong here, but surely um, when it comes to a, a situation like this, Sky maybe approach uh, the SPFL, after all, they did pay for a five-year deal or whatever the case was, and then say, what games can we broadcast or what games are on? They, they, I mean, they should know anyway. And they say, can we like come and broadcast in such and such a game? You've got Rangers, Aberdeen, you've got Celtic Hibs, and yet Sky have opted to to, to show Liverpool's clash uh, with Preston uh, on three separate Sky channels, not just the one, not just two, three. So it's like surely one of the channels can pick a game up, pick a game up. It it, it absolutely baffles me, and, and it just goes on to further show that they, they just don't give a. Um, hi, <laughs> they don't care, man. And it's ridiculous. Uh, and again, they can see. Honestly, I wish that BT would just step in or something like that and just get the rights and then get, get proper yeah, coverage. I think back. it's it's. I think, like you say, John, it's just it's the it's the double edged sword. It's the lack of interest from Sky, and it's the yeah. lack of competence from the SPFL, and that is a toxic, toxic mixture when it comes to trying to get games on the telly. But I, mate, I listen, we, we we know the the SPFL, the SFA, whatever they fucking call themselves these days, that they, they they are incompetent and they have been for years. They're useless, and the, the, I think this that that Sky deal that they got offered was probably the first deal they tabled, and then they just work it. They, they were just, oh, we'll take it, we'll take it, because it's it's better than we had previously. So we're just going to take it. We didn't. There, there was probably no element of haggling. No, no try to push for a bit, a, a better deal. No even seeing if if there was competition. If BT or that want to offer it, Amazon even are getting into it now, and they they they're, they're broadcasting games through Amazon Prime. It's like I, I would I would even take that. Like if Amazon was to come in and say, here's so many millions for for the Scottish games, and we'll broadcast all these. It just it, Sky Sports can get to fuck. Mm. I mean, it's it's quite ironic as well that I believe anyway the SPFL is in probably the best shape it's been in in 10 years in terms of teams, squads and strength within the league. But look, we'll look ahead to the league game against Hibs at Easter Road and I'll come to yourself, Ross, first for this. They're coming into this game on the back of a 3-0 loss against Dundee United and a 1-0 loss against Aberdeen. No goals scored there, which is quite evident. But And so they're going in four games, <coughs> one on the bounce. Do you think this game could throw up a potential banana skin. Easter Road in, in the past has been a difficult venue, but from my point of view, I'm pretty confident that we can get, get the result and even the comfortable one at that. Uh, I'm always confident. Uh, you, you have to you have to go into all, all Celtic games confident that they can win. Otherwise, what's the point? But um, uh, aye, Hibs, Hibs have definitely been off the boil. Uh, you, you've touched on their last couple of results there. Um, so I I I I feel that we sh- we should be looking to win this game off the back of the form that we're in and the form that they're in. But again, it's it's a trip to the capital city. It's it's always tough form, sorry. No, always, but it, it goes out the window. Um, but I I think we we should have enough uh, to win that game uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I think as well, the confidence thing is coming among Celtic fans now, often in terms of what we're seeing on the pitch. And Aberdeen, a team that were in crisis, went going into this Hibs game 1 1 0. Their manager, Stephen Class, was based out the door last week, but this result could propel them to a win and run. And it looks like Hibs, to me, are on a sliding slope down the table. We're above them. And that's why I'm feeling that we can kind of get a win and a comfortable win. But 
What's your opinion on it? I think we always, as Ross says, whenever you we make the trip across the M8, it is always a tough match. I mean, we have to forget we've not won in the league at Easter Road since 2014. Um, and we've only won once since then in a Scottish Cup tie uh, when just after Brendan Rodgers uh, departed for Leicester. So it has not been a happy hunting ground by any means for for us uh, the last few years. But like you say, the, the forum that we're in, uh, the forum that Hibs are in, you know, for all their, their talented players, they've, they've not really kind of got off, off and running this season. They've had a very stop-start uh, campaign. So there's everything there is there for us to go and get the win. But yeah, I think it, it'll be a tough game. But I think, like you say, we should really be looking forward, looking to win it. Yeah, 100%. And John, what about yourself, the feelings end of the game? I mean, Anthony makes a, a great point. I mean, I'm going to be totally honest, a wee bit naive that we haven't won there and, uh, since 2014. I personally didn't even know that stat, but that's kind of stark in terms of how difficult Easter Road and the pa- pass has proved for Celtic. But the form for Celtic at the minute and Posta Coglu, the confidence through Celtic's team, I just believe we're going to get that victory. Uh, yeah, I, I, as as we say, it's like Hibs seem to be went off the boil a wee bit. Uh, we are starting to pick up a bit of momentum, so uh, but that pendulum is definitely swinging in our favour, and I'm confident that uh, we're going to continue uh, a runny sort of gathering points. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realise that start either myself, but I mean, I stopped paying attention to all that carry on. I'm just I just focus on the game as it comes now, uh, and. Aye, I'm confident that we're going to pick up three and I really hope Aberdeen uh, do the business as well. Mm-hmm. And come to yourself, um, Anthony, for this line-up prediction and scores, what have you gone for? Uh, I think we'll go for, obviously, Joe Hart and goals. And I think it will be possibly very similar to what we had on Saturday. Uh, so the same back four. We may find uh, a badder might come, might come back in, just depending uh, on how his... Uh, Sort of fit. I don't know if he was taken out of the match on Saturday just to sort of give him a rest or if there was maybe any niggles or, or anything like that. But I, I think we're in such good control at the minute that he might not decide to, to shake things up too much, especially when we've got a home game uh, Saturday at three o'clock again uh, coming up at the weekend. So, you know, I, I'm actually, you know, he might one or two, but I'm actually going to change my mind there Stephen I think you might just go for the same again from, from Saturday and what about score then what are you going for oh yeah sorry sorry you asked me the score as well I'll, uh, I'm going to go 2-0 Celtic and John same to yourself lineups and scores I think it's going to be the same lineup against St Johnson um, I, I don't think there's going to be any changes uh, and I'm going to say 3 nothing. 3 nothing. and Ross same to you um, I, I personally think it, it will be the same lineup as uh, Saturday. The only maybe one that might be a change is Kyogo back through the middle. We might put uh, Yota out wide, uh, and maybe he might give Mikey Johnson a run out. But then again, he might try and do that in the home game at the weekend. Uh, so I probably. I would probably go with the same team as Saturday just because I think Giacomacus gives you that, that presence, certainly in an away game as well, to try and get on top of teams. Um, Scoreline, um, I'm going to go 2-0 Celtic. I'll, I'll go Hart and goal, Ralston, Carter Vickers, Starfeld, 
and Juranovic. I'll go on the midfield, beat Tom McGregor and Turnbull. I'll go on the right-hand side, Johnson, Mikey Johnson to get a start. Kyle go through the middle and Felipe Yada on the left. And I'll go personally, Flino, Flino scoreline. But look, that brings us to the end of the podcast. And I mean, it's been a great show. And we as a podcast group have some news for the guys who are especially listening on YouTube. This will be our last audio video on YouTube, which is very exciting. We're going to go video from episode 67 onwards. This seems to be a process process that's took ages, but it's just because we had to get everyone sorted, everyone with the right cameras and things like that. And it's an exciting time because we're going to take that jump in the video. Yes, we'll be still available on audio and the likes of Spotify and iTunes. But come to yourself, John. You're the man who's done this and kind of brought us to this stage. How excited are you to be going video on the podcast? I'm just glad to get you off my fucking back, to be honest. Nah, I mean, it has, it, it, it's taken a bit of time because, like you say, it's, uh, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but no, everybody is technically minded. And the, the, it, 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 these things, you can't just expect people to jump in head first and, and, and know what to do. So it's just making sure everything's done right and everybody's ready and set up to to get that ball rolling. Uh, and I, it's taken a little bit longer than we'd maybe have liked. And I appreciate, obviously, everybody, despite the constant shit I'm getting, <laughs> actually just seeing it. <laughs> uh, but oh, I hopefully um, it's, it takes, us taking that extra step will, will help the channel grow a wee bit as well. But I uh, thanks to everybody that's continued to tune in and supported us. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that's a podcast, John. We're giving you shit. We're giving you this gentle encouragement. That's I all was about, Joel. Trust me. It was... <laughs> <laughs> but what about yourself? No, I was Lovely. definitely giving me shit. <laughs> what about yourself, Anthony? <laughs> Go on, video. How you feeling? Is Anthony with us? Thank you. But Ross, I'll come to you because Sky is silent. Anthony again. How you feeling, Go on, video? Um, I very excited. Uh, I don't know if it will be me it's or on Thursday night. Course, but, uh, I think. Uh, after... Oh. <laughs> and this I, is why I, I, we. I, had, I, this I, is why I, we wait wait and make sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, looking looking forward to to watching you all and good luck um, good luck for the first one and I look forward to not only listening but watching you as well on uh, when it, when it gets released in it the following day. Yeah, and what about yourself, Ross? How you feeling? Hey, I, I, I once again um, <laughs> uh, pretty excited. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I don't know if it will be me. Uh, it'll be on Thursday night, um, but I've I've got my. Uh, hair appointment booked and all the rest of it uh, to make myself look tip top condition for the visuals uh, <laughs> but no seriously I'm really looking forward to it and I think fingers crossed it will help us uh, like John says grow a bit more and probably get a wee bit more interest because uh, although audio has been good for us I think it will be better to the go off people's like facial expressions and stuff as well yeah our, all our faces and to the guys who are listening the next time you're going to see us on the youtube platform you'll be able to put the names to the faces and a great podcast everybody and the people who are listening stay well and keep safe hail hail <laughs>